Well, would you open your Bible with me this evening to the book of John, chapter 13. John 13 tonight. In just a little bit, we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper together. And before we do, I'd like to take a moment to look into the Word of God as we prepare our, our hearts to remember the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sin. John chapter 13. If you knew that tonight would be your last night on earth, what would you want to tell your family and friends? Many of us would gather them around, around and we'd tell them how much we love them. We would want them to know that. And then there would be a lot of other things that we would want to share with them. Things that are very important to us. Reminders that we would want to give them. Instructions that we would hope they would remember. That would stick with them after we were gone. In 2 Peter, as we've been studying through that on Wednesday nights, there's some verses and, uh, in that, those early chapters where, in chapter 1, where Peter says that he knew that shortly he must put off his tabernacle. And so he wanted to uh, put some things in remembrance to the believers. And if you knew that tonight was your last night on earth, you'd want to do the same thing. There'd be some very important things that you would want to communicate to your family, your friends, those people that you love. Well, that's exactly what we find in John chapter 13. In John 13, we have the story of Jesus having the Last Supper with His disciples, the story of Him washing the disciples' feet. And then later in the chapter, we have a, a record of the dialogue that went on between Jesus and 11 of the disciples prior to their leaving that upper room and going to the Garden of Gethsemane where later that night Jesus would pray and, and then of course be arrested and the next day Jesus would be crucified. And Jesus knew all things and He knew that, the, that His time was very close. He knew that that was His last night before the crucifixion. Now, he also knew that he would, raise from, uh, the, he would uh, rise from the dead and that he would have further discussions with his disciples. But this is a significant passage because it's the last discussion that Jesus had with his disciples before the crucifixion. I want to pick up tonight in verse number 31. For context, again, Judas has left. He's been sent on his way to do what Jesus knew he was going to do, to go finish the betrayal of Jesus. So he's talking to the 11 faithful disciples. Verse 31 of John 13. Therefore, when he was gone out, that was speaking of Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify Him. 
Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You shall seek me, as, as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at these words of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that our hearts would be tender to the Holy Spirit's leading, that we would not be obstinate, stubborn, and rebellious, but that we would listen to your still small voice and respond with obedience. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In these verses, Jesus began to address his disciples one final time before he would go and be crucified. And after telling them that the time for him to fulfill his purpose had come, and where he was going, they could not come with him, and he was referring there to the cross. He says, I have a new commandment for you. Now, I wonder what their initial response was when Jesus said that. These men were very familiar with the Word of God. They'd heard Jesus teach and preach for three years or so. They'd heard Him give a lot of commands. They'd heard Him explain a lot of the Old Testament commands more fully. They had followed Jesus. They knew His teachings. And so He looks at them and He says... I've got a new commandment for you. I wonder what they thought. Maybe their ears perked up a little bit. Maybe they sat up on a little bit straighter. Maybe they, they really dialed in and paid attention to what Jesus was going to say because here was something new. There's just something about human nature. We like new things. Oh, it's new. Let's listen. That's why we have 24-hour news stations. We want to hear something new. So Jesus says, I'm a new commandment I give unto you. So they're listening very closely. And Jesus says that you love one another. Now, wait a second. That's not new. They'd heard Jesus say that before. They were there when Jesus was asked, what, are the two great, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is love God and love your neighbor. They'd heard Jesus say that you were even supposed to love your enemies and pray for them which despitefully use you. So I wonder again, what were they thinking when Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another? Maybe they were kind of proverbially scratching their head thinking, what is he talking about? How is this new? But Jesus continued on. Because the commandment in its simple wording, wasn't necessarily that new. But in its fullness and implication, it was. Because he went on to say this, As I have loved you, 
that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So this commandment was new, not in the sense that it had never been given, but never had so much meaning been put into this command before. That the disciples were not just to love each other in a kind and generically cordial kind of a way, but now a new standard is being given. That how the disciples were to love each other was to be how Jesus loved them. And furthermore, that how well they obeyed that command would be what distinguished them as true followers of Jesus. And as we prepare to share the Lord's Supper together tonight, we do well to consider these words of our Savior. I want you to notice with me the distinction of love, the demand of love, and the demonstration of love. We need to be impressed with this truth tonight, that people will know we are followers of Jesus only when we love each other like Jesus loves us. So notice, number one, the demand of love. Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. He calls this a commandment. He didn't say suggestion. He didn't say guideline. He called it a command. There's an expectation of obedience here, of compliance. There's a responsibility that is being laid on His disciples. Jesus is saying, I am expecting you from this point forward to do this. It's a, not a suggestion, a command. Now again, they were already familiar with this command of God. In Mark chapter 12, turn there with me. We have that instance where Jesus was asked, what's the most important command? What's the most important thing I could be doing? You know, we ask those kinds of questions about life. What's the most important thing in any given area? What is the thing I need to make top priority? What do I need to give all my focus to in this particular instance? What is it that I need to be most concerned about? And so Jesus was asked, what's the most important command? By some people's count, there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. That's a lot to pick from. So somebody, out of curiosity, asked Jesus one day, what's the most important one? In Mark 12, verse 29, Jesus answered him, the first commandment... First of all, the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And when he says first, he doesn't mean in order of appearance, but in order of importance. The most important command is love God with everything you have. Look, we need to start there tonight. Before we can talk about loving each other, before we can talk about loving our neighbor, we've got to get this settled. Loving God is the number one priority. Because if your fellowship, your relationship with God is not what it should be, nothing else will be right in your life. And it's foolishness to attempt to love 
each other as God loves us when we don't love God for His love for us. So that's the most important command. But notice verse 31, Jesus, He wasn't asked what's the second, but Jesus volunteered this. He took this opportunity to share the second most important command, which is, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is no other commandment greater than these. These were the summation of all the Old Testament law. You could take every expectation of God and you could lump it in one of two categories. It either expresses love for God or it expresses love for your neighbor. And Jesus, when asked what's the most important command, He said, love God, love your neighbor. It's a demand. Folks, we're not just talking about theory tonight that would be good for us to ponder and maybe consider implementing into our life. We're talking about a matter of obedience. That if you're not loving each other, if we're not loving each other as we should, we are not obeying God. We're not doing what Jesus told us to do. John, who recorded this in John 13, later would write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the books that we know as those books. He considered this to be the most important command that Jesus gave. You read 1st John especially over and over again. He reminds the believers of our responsibility to love one another. Just for instance, 1st John 3, 23. This is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. The Apostle Paul understood the importance of this command. He called it the law of Christ, referring to it in Galatians 6, 2, when he said, bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. James called it the royal law in James 2 and verse number 8. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. And when you look in the New Testament, you find a lot of commands to the churches, to the believers, that God expects us to be doing certain things for each other. And there's a phrase often repeated, one another. And of all the one another commands in the New Testament, love one another is mentioned far more times than any other. It's the most important command. And it is a command. And Jesus here takes the general principle, love your neighbor as yourself, yourself, and he makes it specific to his disciples. He said, you eleven who have stayed faithful to me, love each other. Yes, love God supremely. Yes, love your neighbor generically. But love each other specifically. There's a special application that Jesus is making here in this new command because it was going to have a very special significance for His followers. Number two, notice with me the demonstration of love. Jesus went on to say in John 13, As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And if I'm imagining myself as one of the disciples hearing Jesus say this for the very first time, I think it's probably at this point that I'm beginning to understand what Jesus meant when He said a new command. Love each other. Okay, we've heard that before. But as I've loved you, oh, oh, now we've got a new standard. 
It's not just showing love to someone as compared to how they're treated by everyone else, but it's showing love to them in the way that Jesus shows love to us. Demonstrating love to each other in the same way that God demonstrated His love to us through Jesus. Romans 5.8 says, But God commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus would say in John 14, Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. The demonstration of love that Jesus was talking about was His kind of love, a selfless, sacrificial love that acts for the good of the other. It's not just a a love that says, I love you, have a nice wife. It's a love that is willing even to die for the good of the other. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm tempted to think that dying for someone would actually be easier. You know what's really hard to do? Is to show living love. Because that's something you have to do day in and day out through thick and thin, through the ups and downs, through the good and through the bad. That's hard. 1 Corinthians 13 is a chapter all about what God's love looks like, what Jesus' love looks like. Let's just look at verses 4 through 8, just, just to get a little bit of a more detailed picture of what living love actually looks like. Jesus would show the ultimate sacrifice of love when He would die on the cross. But you know, all those years that He lived with the disciples, He was showing them every single day what it looks like to love someone. It looks a lot like this. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Charity suffereth long. Hollywood says that love's a feeling. Hollywood says it's something you fall into and out of. The world says that your first responsibility is to love yourself. And if someone is not showing you the kind of love that you think you deserve, then find someone else in your life who will love you like you think you deserve to be loved. But you know what God says? He says, love suffers long. Puts up with a lot. Suffers. Love suffers. That doesn't make it right that we have suffering. It doesn't make it right that there is pain and hardship in life. It doesn't make that right. But what God is saying is if you love someone, you'll be willing to suffer long with them and for them. Secondly, and is kind. I think we can fall victim to the kindness cult because there are some people that it seems like they think their chief doctrine is the doctrine of nicety-niceness. Sometimes you need to say hard things. And some people may accuse you of being unkind for doing that. If you're doing it in the right spirit, you're not truly unkind. But here's the thing. We still have a responsibility to be nice, be kind, be courteous. That's what the word means. Charity, number three, envieth not. Don't be jealous of whatever that person has. Don't wish that you had it instead of them. 
Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. That means it's humble. Our pride often gets in the way of us loving others as we should. Because in our pride, we wonder, do they deserve my love? That's just pride. Verse 5, doth not behave itself unseemly, it acts right. Verse 5, seeketh not her own. In other words, you're not in it for what you get out of it. You're in it for what you can give. That's God's kind of love. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. That is, you don't have a short temper. You don't, you know, get easily offended. Ties in with that suffering long idea. Thinketh no evil. That idea there is that you don't assume the worst about people. You give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, sometimes people remove all doubt. I get that. I understand that. But you at least are willing to give them a chance. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. You know, it's wrong to rejoice in the downfall of others. That's not Christian love. That's not Christ-like love. Verse 8 or verse 7. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. You put up with a lot. You're willing to believe what they tell you. Believe the best. Hopeth all things. You expect the good to come through this interaction with that other person. Endureth all things. Charity never faileth, verse 8. God's kind of love doesn't come and go. It's constant. Regardless of circumstances, it's there. And Jesus said, as I've loved you, that you also love one another. You see, love is not a feeling. Love's an action. It's a choice. I'm going to love this person. And anytime God gives a command, that means that you can choose to obey it or not. It's a choice. We cannot rely on our feelings. They're too inconsistent, too unreliable. I like how Romans 13 summarizes this. Verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. That's what God says about love. God's kind of love never acts in a way that is detrimental to the other, but always acts in a way that has their true best interest at heart. And that's exactly how God loves us. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's love. And that's how Jesus said, love one another. And then number three, I want you to notice with me from our text, the distinction of love. In verse 35, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? Because you go to church every Sunday morning. That's not what he said. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Because you have high moral standards. That's not what he said. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you share the gospel. You think about all the things Jesus could have said here. 
We could have said all of these different things that we ought to do, that we must do. But when it came to the distinguishing factor amongst his followers, this is what he said. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, when you have love one to another. He said that our love for each other was to be the distinguishing characteristic to the world. The world is watching us. Every single day when we interact with the world, with the lost, they're watching. We may not realize it. We may discount that fact, but it doesn't change the truth that they're watching. The question is, what do they see? When they look at our life, do they see a person who's living a godly life? Do they see a person who has a good godly testimony? And when they watch us interact with each other, what do they see? Do they see Christians demonstrating Christ-like love? I'm sure we could all tell stories tonight about situations we know of firsthand or heard of about you know, churches that were split because of petty differences. And we think to ourselves, well, that's terrible. But you know, we are just as susceptible to that temptation as anybody. We're just as susceptible to that spirit of division and that Satan loves to stir up. And he loves to do that because he knows that if he can create rifts between the disciples of Jesus, then he can damage what Jesus intended to be the best illustration of God's love to the world. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. It's to be our, our uniform as believers. You know, certain professionals wear uniforms to distinguish who they are. Police officers, for example. They have certain uniforms that they wear, and that distinguishes them as a police officer. That's why, and, and they, they're very careful about that. They have passed laws that it's illegal to impersonate a police officer because they want to protect that, that image because that's a very important distinction. Well, as believers... Loving each other is the outward display that shows who and what we are. You know what this means? Think about the implication of what Jesus said here. He said, by this shall all men know that you're mine. Not just each other, but the world at large will look and they will see how you interact and know that, that you are followers of Jesus. Notice the implication here. It means that our love for one another is supposed to be visible. It's supposed to be noticeable. Is supposed to be apparent to those who look on. It's not enough to just say, well, I love them in my heart. Well, good for you. But how do I know that? How does the world know that? How does that person you claim to love know that? And I think we understand this, even if we fail to apply it properly. If a husband said he loved his wife, but never demonstrated it, never spoke kindly to her, never showed interest in her, never was concerned for her, never took care of her, would you agree that he loves her? You'd say, no, that's not genuine love. Because genuine love 
will not be in word or in tongue, but it will be in deed and in truth, 1 John 3.18. But at the same time, here's the other side of this. If it's going to be love as I loved you, Jesus said, then it cannot be hypocritical love. So there's two errors here. The first is just saying you love someone and not showing it. The second error is pretending to love someone when you don't. They're both wrong. Just going through the motions when you're around that person and just pretending is not good enough. There has to be genuine, heartfelt, sincere love. Sometimes Christians are guilty of honoring other with their lips, but their heart is far from them, just like Jesus said the Pharisees did to God. Sometimes we're really good at putting up a front and playing the part and making other people think that we're loving, when actually our heart is full of selfishness and pride. So there's two errors here. We've got to reject them both, and we've got to get to the heart of the command. Love as I've loved you. And when you do that... People will notice, and everybody will know, you're a follower of Jesus. Genuine heart love is seen in how we treat others, and that is what distinguishes us as followers of Jesus. Jesus showed His love in living for us, in dying for us, and in rising again. For us. It was all about us. It was all about you and me. And tonight, as we remember that sacrifice of love, can we say that we are loving each other like Christ loves us? Are you loving others or are you wrapped up in yourself? Are you so in love with you that there's no room to love others? Are you refusing to treat others with Christ-like love? Are you damaging the illustration that Jesus wants us to be? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Before we partake of the Lord's Supper tonight, let's take a moment and examine ourselves and ask the Lord this question. Am I loving my brothers and sisters in Christ as I should? With heads bowed and eyes closed, This truth was so important that Jesus made sure to tell His disciples before He was crucified, love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Every commandment of God is important, but I believe there's a special significance here. And as we approach the Lord's Supper together, I think we need to Give God an opportunity to deal with us in this area in particular.